The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have taken their seat on the chair of Moses. Therefore, do and observe all things whatsoever they tell you, but do not follow their example. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to carry, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they will not lift a finger to move them. All their works are performed to be seen. They widen their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love places of honor at banquets, seats of honor in synagogues, greetings in marketplaces, and the salutation, Rabbi. As for you, do not be called rabbi. You have but one teacher, and you are all brothers. Call no one on earth your father. You have but one father in heaven. And do not be called master. You have but one master, the Christ. The greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. The words with which our reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah begin today are remarkably strong. Listen, people of Sodom and people of Gomorrah. But God is speaking to Israel, not Sodom and Gomorrah. It is a remarkably strong injunction on the part of the Lord to reference those two cities proverbial for their wickedness, whose wickedness brought their destruction upon them, for the Lord to turn to his own people and use those terms in speaking to them. And the reading becomes even more sharp and surprising when we see what it is that has upset the Lord. Because we often fall into the trap of reducing the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah to one of sexual immorality. And yet the Lord isn't speaking of that here. He is speaking of a bright scarlet sinfulness in Israel which deals with the oppression of the poor and the exploitation of the weak. And that this is as wicked in his eyes as anything Sodom and Gomorrah did. What a sobering statement for those who want to look to the horrific example of these ancient cities and say, well, at least I'm not that bad. And hear the Lord saying, this too cries out to heaven for great redress. And now is the time for you to turn again to me. In speaking this way, the Lord is holding out to his people, through that accusation, the dramatic invitation to a moment of grace. 
However scarlet your sins, they may be made white as snow. However wicked your deeds, however great your injustice, these things can be overcome if you are willing to turn from them. And in speaking this way, the invitation to a moment of grace is the invitation to a very real humility, the kind of humility that we are reluctant to embrace. Because it begins with that truly honest look at ourselves where we lay aside our flattery of ourselves and see our selfishness, our ambition, our wickedness, our injustice for what it really is. And in seeing that, not simply to wallow in a certain sense of hopeless guilt-riddenness, but to say it is, in fact, time to make a change. That is the whole point of marking our foreheads with ashes with which we began this holy season. It is an outward sign whose only value is in indicating the inward movement of transformation that the community has begun. Without that inward transformation, the ashes do no good. They are as meaningless as the dust out of which they are made. As meaningless, in some sense, as the dust to which our sin would reduce us. But when one recognizes these things and one presents himself in humility, need, and repentance before the grace of God, what is wounded can be healed. What is broken can be restored. What is guilt-ridden and sinful can be reconciled and forgiven. And it's in this context, then, that Jesus now turns to his followers and he wants to address a certain temptation in the hearts of the faithful, which is, if I have a leader who doesn't meet my standards, I'm not obliged to follow what he or she says. As a classic temptation, a classic excuse people will make, I don't go to church because it's filled with hypocrites. Well, aren't we all? Um, and, but note how what happens then, because somebody else is doing it wrong, I have no obligation to try and get it right myself. And so Jesus now, taking the scribes and the Pharisees as his example and certain habits of behavior that a number of them have fallen into, that are well known, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you've got to understand this. There are two elements about these men. One is they do occupy a place of legitimate authority in the life of the people. And that is the place of Moses. They are the custodians of the law and of the tradition. And that is true. They occupy that place. However, the second element is that they don't occupy it well. And so he says, that means there must be a twofold response to leadership like this. A twofold response to situations like this. A twofold response to the fact that there are hypocrites in church, for example. 
One, listen to what they say. Because whether they are perfect or not, the authority they hold is real, and the law of which they speak is, in fact, binding on us. And so we are all accountable to that. And that includes you. But then he says, oh, but be careful of the example they set. Don't necessarily do these things after their pattern. Note the skill set here. Recognize the law that you must follow. And recognize that the authority of that law does not rest on the one who is speaking it to you. Frankly, frankly, if the authority of obedience to the faith rested solely on my holiness, oh, you guys would be absolved of everything. Um, so note, note what the Lord is saying. There is that which comes from God, and regardless of who says it to you, you're still accountable to it. And whether a person is corrupt or incorrupt, the call of the truth is the call of the truth. And so don't say, he's no good, etc., 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 therefore I have every right not to be good myself. This was the pattern Israel had fallen into, why the Lord speaks of them in that harsh way, O oh, people of Sodom and people of Gomorrah. Everyone now becomes a law unto himself. If our leaders aren't practicing justice, why should we? If our leaders aren't faithful, why should we be? Note how we believers today can fall into this pattern. If the culture around us is a certain way, why can't I be too? And so the Lord reminds his disciples, it can't be that way with us. It is not enough to simply look at our leaders, our examples, and see the way they fall short and then make that our law. They don't live it well, why should I? Rather, the Lord says, let's look at the patterns we want to avoid. Their teaching is correct. But they make an outward show so that they are gaining merely human respect. Don't you be about that. They love speaking of the difficult truths of the faith and the tradition in a way that burdens the faithful but they don't do a thing to help them carry those burdens. Don't you do that. Not what the Lord is saying. Note what the Lord is saying. Just because someone else weaponizes the truth doesn't mean you do likewise. Just because someone else is doing things to attract celebrity and attention, don't you do likewise. It's a remarkably beautiful and simple message the Lord has for us today, which is regardless of how perfect the one in front of you is or how imperfect the one in front of you is, you are, in fact, accountable to the way that the Lord has given you to walk. And it's out of this, then, that the Lord now gives us his fuller teaching on humility. There are always going to be those in the believing community who do things to be seen, 
to be respected, to be appreciated, to be valued, and that is really the end result of what they're doing. It's something that can creep into the believer's heart very easily. We often begin with good intentions of serving the Lord and end by serving ourselves. And so the Lord says, be careful with that disposition as it creeps into you, the desire to be noticed, the desire for status, the desire for esteem and place. On the one hand, these are natural things, but on the other hand, when they become the central thing, everything gets disordered. And he says, humility must be your way. Do things because they are right to do, not because you will be celebrated. Live the right way before the Lord, recognizing that in the end, he is your teacher. And be humble enough to say that my wicked heart is not necessarily better than the hypocrite who has been speaking to me. You know, the old joke was, there are too many hypocrites in church. The, an the correct answer to that statement is, well, why don't you show up? We have room for one more. <laughs> and, uh, but note, note, note again how the Lord is saying, you know, be honest about yourself too because that degree of perfection isn't in you. Be honest about yourself because you and I are equally capable of falling into that proud trap of a merely superficial observance of the faith. And what do we want to do? We want to take that honest look inside of us where we are, in fact, deeply flawed and move forward. How important and how simple that is. And the Lord then concludes this teaching with a very powerful statement, which is, humble yourself before the Lord. This is the fundamental disposition of the spiritual life. This is the fountainhead of all real prayer and all real worship, which doesn't begin with the desire to sing a mighty song of praise but with a bowing low before the one who is truly great. Humble yourself before the Lord. And should one cultivate that disposition, even if it's as basic as a daily act in the morning, every morning, of simply at the beginning of my prayer, making it a point to recognize God is great and I am not. God is wise, and I am not. God is mighty, and I am not. And in that simple recognition, just bow the heart before him and let my prayer emerge from that place. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. He'll do the lifting. He will be the one who lifts you. He will be the one who exalts you. And he'll lift you higher than you could ever hope to lift yourself. But if we seek to be the ones to elevate ourselves, if we seek to be the ones who do the lifting, if we seek to be the ones who are about the climbing to the higher place, in the end, we will come crashing down because we can't sustain ourselves there. 
we can't long keep ourselves there. That is a false way. So note the Lord then calling his disciples to a very careful discernment about which examples they will follow, about what the proper relationship with leadership is, and it is never hero worship. But also then recognizing that all things are grounded in our fundamental attitude to our relationship with God. He is great. I am not. He is wise. I am not. In a few minutes, we're going to come forward to stretch out our hands and receive him, who is the Lord of the universe. And note how beautifully he shows us the power of his teaching, because he's the one who humbles himself to be with us. Veiling his greatness and his goodness in the form of bread and wine. He, could, oh, he who could overwhelm us with his glory is pleased not to. He who could easily attract attention to himself is pleased in a certain way not to. He who will stretch out his arms on the cross on Calvary is pleased to call the world to look upon him in his woundedness and in his weakness and see there his greatness. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And who is he who has done all of these things? He is he who sits at the very right hand of the, of the majesty in heaven. The Lord of all glory, the Lord of all nations. And note how wonderful it is that when we stretch out our hands to receive him, it is that example likewise that we receive, this fundamental movement of the heart of Jesus Christ. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, I am your master. I am your teacher. And learn from me. One of the beautiful elements of the sacrament we celebrate here is that the Eucharist is not merely a thing that we receive. It is a person who teaches us. And what an interesting question when we are at Mass, as we watch especially the action at the altar. And on the one hand, there's not a lot to see if I just look at the bread and the wine that are placed at the altar. They don't move unless I pick up my hand and move them. But to watch that and to recognize that within that stillness, the Lord is becoming present. And to ask yourself the question, what do I learn from his presence here? That it is a presence to feed the poverty of our spirits. It is a presence to wipe away the scarlet of our sins and make our spirits once again white as snow. It is a presence of one who is willing to veil his greatness for the sake of drawing near to us. What a marvelous example. However imperfect I may be as a priest or any priest may be, he's still going to be there. However imperfect the one who presides may be, the perfection of Christ is on the altar. 
Note how beautiful that is. Note how beautiful that is. The Lord begins this beautiful teaching telling his disciples, the truth of the faith doesn't rest on the perfection of the witness. It rests on the one who has given the faith. Remain united to him. And don't set aside what is valuable and important and good because of someone else's flaw. Humble yourself, see your own flaw, but then in that humility, come forward. Stretch out your hand to that one who is the true teacher, the true master, the true author of all good. Humble yourself before me and let me do the lifting. Amen.